I'm Aaron. This is Paul. This is Wayne. And this is Tim. You know, Aaron, it seems like it's been long enough since we've all been on that you might be a little out of practice. I think you had to catch your breath there saying all the names. I did. I well, I had to run down. You know, I, I have to do a little roll call. You know, who do we have here again? You know, is Pete still Who's coming? on this podcast? You know? Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, Pete. I, I, uh, I, for, let, let's get serious for a moment here. Oh, uh, Paul. What I is, do. Is there something you'd like to tell me? Now, Paul, Paul, let me just say, I want to be on record here. I won't be angry. I just want you to tell me. Is this about Green Lantern Earth One? No. And I think you know I think you know what this is about, Paul. Did you or did you not steal Stanley's blood so that you could create DNA ink in which to sign Black Panther comics? Now, Paul, I won't be angry. I just want you to tell me the truth. Answer me, Paul. Answer oh, oh. me. Well, in that case, no. I didn't do that. Okay. Because you know there's news. That uh, one of Stanley's uh, former associates stole some of his blood to create DNA ink in which to sign Black Panther comics. It's a crazy world, Paul. That is seriously fucked up. Yeah. <laughs> and I like just, it I, takes a lot for me to say something's fucked up these days, but well, really, I, I just I, to me it had Paul Aponte written all over it. So this just seemed like a Paul kind of thing to do. It does sound like a Paul move. Mm-hmm. Why does it sound like a Paul thing to do? Oh, clearly it's a Paul that, thing. That is way too much effort. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. I always forget, you know, uh, criminals have initiative. They have work ethic. That's not Paul at all. So Yeah, if it's easy way out, it's Paul. <laughs> okay, well, we, we've settled that. <laughs> so... What I did do and what I will confess to is that I went and saw Ready Player One. Oh, I did too. Yep, same here. I uh, I have not seen. Damn you, Aaron. What 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 lame independent drama did you see this week instead of Ready Player One? <laughs> I think I watched the news. I think that was the level of my entertainment <laughs> this week. Uh, but in my defense, nor I have also not read the book, so. Nor have I. Nor have I. Have, despite, have either of you guys? Despite oh, yeah. Tim's strong recommendations that I do so, I have not read the book. Yes, Aaron, you need to get it on Audible because Will Wheaton reads it, and he does a very good job of reading it. Will Wheaton. I don't Wheaton. I don't need anybody to read a book. I can read a book all by myself. <laughs> I, all by myself. I'm all grown up. I, I right. need help with some of the bigger words. <laughs> you know, you, you know I, I, I don't know why I didn't think of this. Maybe because I didn't see the the previews for it because I knew I just wanted to see it. But like, oh, this is an entire CG movie. I'm like, well, duh, it had to be. <laughs> like, I didn't yeah, even, it didn't even occur to me until I was there. It's like, oh, well, obviously that's what they would have to do, Tim, you idiot. <laughs> I, same thing here, Tim. I didn't really think about it until I was there watching it and then realized, hey, this is going to be mostly CG. Okay, so... I, I don't know the nice way to say this. Like, there's been some good CG movies. Like, you know, uh, Pixar does a lot of what you'd call CG movies, um, and the, those those are those are usually pretty high quality. This was a really, in my opinion, this was a really strong movie. I had I had a lot of fun. Um, I, I will say because I'm I'm a book snob a little bit. Like, I, I like things in the book that they took out of the movie for you know, spatial reasons, but, um, yeah, I would say the book was a lot better. I really enjoyed the movie. I liked that they changed the puzzles because the, uh, in the setup for the book for anyone like Aaron that hasn't read it or uh, seen the movie, uh, there is a virtual world that they call the Oasis that it's creator dies and leaves Easter eggs within this virtual world that you have to solve puzzles to find. And if you find all three of them, you get his controlling interest in the company. So it's Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory? It's, yeah. That's a big, that's a good comparison. Yeah. So they did change all of the puzzles, and I think that was uh, intentional for the people that have read the book, so they have, don't know exactly how each one's going to be solved. And I did like that. I like the new puzzles. There was so much from the book, though, that I I was missing, and the book just seemed so much deeper. But I had a lot of fun at the movie. Uh Uh 
So, um, go ahead, Paul. Well, I've not read the book, right? And so, uh, Aaron, your Willy Wonka comparison is very apt. I mean, even the uh, pure imagination song from Willy Wonka is in the trailer mm. for Ready Player One. So it's intentional. The I think the uh, the correlation there. Um, as someone who has not read the book, I really actually enjoyed the movie quite a bit. Um, I would say, you know, Tim referenced, you know, you, uh, something about this being a CG movie. I would say it's kind of like an Avatar thing that you have like 25% live action and about 75% CG, um, uh, you know, because you go into the CG world and, uh, you know, kind of like you're going into your digital Avatar. Um, and so I, for me, I I saw it in IMAX 3D. I don't know that I would recommend that on top of any other. I, I'm not really a big fan of 3D lately. Um, I thought the IMAX was great, but, you know, 3D at this point is just kind of not really a thing. Um, but I thought it was I thought it was really great. There's there are scenes without getting into too spoilerish of a territory um, that I really loved. There's references to The Shining, um, a pretty significant reference to The Shining, the uh, the Jack Nicholson, Stanley Kubrick movie which, you know, um, was really probably my favorite sequence of the movie. I know it's not in the book in, in that way. Um, but, I mean, the, the number of hidden Easter eggs, well, I shouldn't say hidden because they're not trying to hide them. There, there are just so many Easter eggs and references to things from the 80s, especially, um, whether it be Atari 2600 or Battletoads or Ninja Turtles or or any number of properties that I loved uh, growing up. I, I really enjoyed seeing all of that. And so it's, it's something you're going to want to see more than once for all that. I there saw, were far less. Oh, go ahead, Aaron. I, I saw an article uh, where they were saying that that even Spielberg isn't aware of all the Easter eggs that are in the film because you had so so many different uh, special effects teams working it, and each one was kind of plugging in their own Easter eggs. And yeah, so, I can, and so there's not like a master list yet <laughs> of of all the different uh, you know little treasures in the film. There weren't nearly as many as were in the book, and I think that came down to a rights issue. Oh yeah, I don't sure. think they could get they couldn't get a rights issue to quite as many things as were in the book, but there were a lot of them, and some of them were switched around. I missed not seeing Ultraman, but I loved how the Gundam turned out. Yeah, as far as if it's if it's if Warner Brothers owns the rights, it those references them. stayed in. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if Disney owns the rights, those references didn't. <laughs> kind of thing. Yeah, no, that's fair. That's why that's why you saw you saw Batman and in and you saw things that Warner Brothers would license. Yeah, you saw the Iron Giant, right? Yeah, yeah, which was a really good ad. Like that was a really good way because there, there are there are giant mechs in the in the book. So the fact that we got Iron Giant, I was like, that's a that's a good that's a good comp. Yeah, I loved seeing the DeLorean. That was a big part of the book, and uh, just seeing it drive around was cool. Does anybody else want his belt buckle? He has this. I don't know. If, I don't know if you guys even caught it, but like his belt buckle was the Thundercats logo. I did not even catch that. Oh, it was so cool! <laughs> that is so cool. I so noticed cool. it, but I don't have the same nostalgia for Thundercats oh, as I do a lot of the other properties. Yeah, sometimes I forget that you suck, Wayne. <laughs> <laughs> it, you know, it is always foremost in my mind, Paul. <laughs> I have a question for you guys that have read the book. Okay. Um, because obviously the movie is very mired in 80s entertainment, which I get that the creator, you know, the movie takes place in 2045, um, you know, which the creator would put the creator as someone who would have a love of the 1980s. And so there's a lot of references to that in, in his life and in and, and his work. But I don't know why society in 2045 was obsessed with the 1980s. It, um, it it's kind of it's kind of because they were obsessed with him. Okay, they, they're you know this this whole hunt basically brought all of that retro stuff back. Yeah, it was a lot bigger in the like it seemed to take longer in the book before anybody found even a clue. The uh, like in this in the movie they found a clue. They found that the race was the first thing right away and then people had just been trying it in the books everyone had been studying the 80s and all of the things he loved for i want to say five to ten years without solving that first clue yeah and uh, in, 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 in the book it's way more spread out like not everybody's at the same racetrack it was like they've all scattered 
and some of them are starting to like some of you, some of the people are starting to give up a little bit because it's like oh maybe it's a bunch of BS. So it, yeah, no, it it that was a difference. But yeah, that that's why the the culture got brought back to the eighties is because the the guy who created the Oasis was that much into it, and as everybody started to get into trying to figure him out, that's what brought all of it back. Gotcha. So for me, I I I enjoyed it. Uh, Aaron, I've not read the book. Um, I would say if you grew up in the 80s or or remember the Atari 2600 fondly, um, then Ready Player One is a film for you. There there are references to more modern things like Overwatch and Minecraft, but they're minor. Um, So I I don't know that – like if you're in your mid-20s, I don't know that there's a lot there for you. But if you're in your 40s or 30s, I think there's a lot there for you. Yeah, I would agree. It, you get more by having grown up in that in that time period for sure. But I actually saw two movies this week. So I saw Ready Player One on Monday, and on Thursday I went and saw A Quiet Place, which is um, it's the new movie. It's written, directed, and starring John Krasinski, and also stars his wife Emily Blunt. And that I, I got to tell you, the, the trailers for that have just looked fantastic. Is it, is it uh, good, Paul? It's freaking fantastic. Um, really I will, good. you know, last year the runaway horror hit, you know, sleeper hit was was Get Out. I, I would say A Quiet Place is probably um, on deck to be the sleeper hit for this year. Is it as pop culturally significant in terms of commentary? You know, I get our. Get I would Out say no. As far as social commentary, okay. it's not that. Yeah. No, no. I, I would say A Quiet Place is, is not a social commentary thing. So it won't necessarily be a, a Best Picture nominee, but um, it is just a fantastic, suspenseful film. Um, I made the mistake of seeing it in a theater that serves food, uh, you know, like one of those dinner theater type places. So it was a little loud with forks and whatnot. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And, and, you know, and, and the first half of the movie with them coming in and out, serving food, dropping off plates, dropping off checks, collecting money. Don't do that. <laughs> um, the, the film maybe has 50 words total of spoken dialogue. Yeah. Um, there, there, there's obviously, you know, the film is very um, much about the silence and every little noise is like, you know, it, it puts you on the edge of your seat because that's what the film's all about, about so, being quiet so that these creatures don't hear you. So I'm assuming you know, I have assumed a number of things about this film without having seen it. And one of the things I'm assuming is like a very minimal soundtrack in terms of like, you know, music over over the action. I would say there is it is a muted soundtrack, but there is not a lack thereof. Like there's a score to the film. Right. Um, you know, it, it, it's subtle, but it's mood setting. Right. It's it's not going to set the world on fire, but you, it's present, you know, as far as setting mood and things like that. Well, um, but sound is really important to this film. I saw an interview with Emily Blunt last week, and I, I'm sorry, the, the, the film just sounds and looks fantastic. The the, uh, you know, uh, the bit of film that they showed during her interview was just, you know, super intense. I was like, God, I've got to see this movie. Yeah. And, I've you know, I, I never saw The Office so I'm not, you know, the big fan of John Krasinski that everyone else is. In fact, I think the only thing I've ever seen him in was in that Michael Bay 13 hours film, which was good. But I, I'm not really, you know, the the Jim from the office fan that everyone else is. Uh, but, you know, he, he did a fantastic job directing this film. It is a really, really good film. And it's funny, the Michael Bay connection, because Michael Bay is a producer on this film. This is through his Platinum Dunes. Um, horror uh, production company. Well, it looks good. I'm eager to see it. Yeah, I'd really recommend I watching it. Don't think I've even seen a preview for it. Ah, the previews are intense. If you're a fan of like The Last of Us, because it's funny when you watch the trailer, you're like, "Is this The Last of Us?" Um, like that video game. I think this would be up your alley. It's it's not zombies. It's you know creatures, um, but it is just a, a really slickly produced um intense little uh suspense film I, and i i really recommend it short too nice and you know hour and a half you know it, it doesn't overstay its welcome uh really intense so in other well it's not movie news really it's tv news did you guys know that they are doing uh amazon is doing um 
a series based on that Garth Ennis uh, dynamite book, The Boys. You know, no. I knew they had licensed it, but I thought that it had fallen apart because I haven't heard anything about it in years. Well, they announced uh, just a couple days ago that Carl Urban has been cast as the lead, Billy Butcher. I, which, I, I have never read an issue of The Boys. Oof. That hurts me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I really liked it in the beginning. I thought it, I don't know what, it just felt like it stretched on a little too long for me. But it started off so strong. As, okay, so the fact that you say Amazon means you have to Amazon Prime blah, blah, blah money. Yes, sir. Correct. Yeah, I'm not going to see it then. <laughs> Which sucks, because I would love to. Well, so um, Evan Goldberg and Seth Rogen are going to direct the pilot. Um, you know, they also produced and directed the pilot for Preacher. Um, it, the pilot is also written by Eric Kripke, who, if you're not f- familiar with the name, is um, the create one of the co-creators of the Supernatural TV series. He was pretty much responsible for the arc that happened in the first five seasons of that show. So, I mean, it's got a, a good pedigree behind it. And I really am a fan of Carl Urban, um, more uh, so since you and I saw him in person, Aaron. Yeah, I, I really I, I enjoy Carl Urban. I, I enjoyed him in Lord of the Rings. I, I He is one of the shining stars of the uh, Star Trek Kelvin movies. Um, I, I like Carl Urban. I, I, I liked him as Judge Dredd. I know a lot of people didn't like that movie. I liked him as Judge Dredd. So did he did he like levitate his his hands above you guys so you guys could buddy up for a picture? I did not yeah. photograph with Carl. No, 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 neither did I. But it's funny that you mentioned that, Tim, because I'm going to skip ahead on the outline. Um, because it, I mean, you, it, unintentionally, you brought it up. That, that, that whole I, oh, I saw a picture. Don't you worry. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, you know it, what Tim's referencing is that a couple of years back, Aaron and I went to Dallas Fan Expo or whatever is, the hell, it's which is happening this weekend, by the way. Yeah, it's happening this weekend, and Ben Affleck's there. Ben yeah. Affleck. Yeah, uh, but he was tired. Back tattoo. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but Aaron and I went a few years back, probably at this point, five years ago, something like that ish. Yeah. Uh, And we met uh, Stephen Amell. Uh, You know, we took a photo with Stephen Amell, but at the time he had a newborn baby. So his handler came out and informed us that Mr. Amell will not touch you. Do not touch Mr. Amell. He'll stand (laughs) behind you with his hand hovering behind your back to make it look like he's touching you for your photographs. And that's what happened. (laughs) Um, Well, this past weekend on uh, Easter weekend, I went up to D.C. to AwesomeCon. Um, which is, you know, I had not, I had no intention of going to Awesome Con because uh, it's been it, less than awesome. We'll it's been fair. less than awesome in years past, and I, I, I've said so, and I think that that may have have burned a, a little bit of a bridge with them because they declined our press pass uh, last year. So I'm like, you know what, I'm I'm, I'm out, like no big deal. Uh, but my brother really wanted to go this I, year. I believe because... that you can translate to eat me, Awesome Con. <laughs> but. I'm, I'm, there's a there's a there's a there's a, a a good part to this story. Um, so my brother talked me into it because they were going to have Michael Rosenbaum and Tom Welling, and my brother is a huge Smallville fan. And no, um, and I was like, Mack, you know, know what? I'll you know he had no one to go. If Paul wanted you no, to yeah, sex. No, no, Allison Max. <laughs> the law. Yeah, I read it. Anyone that. Anyone that wants to meet her, just wait a couple of years and you can visit her in the prison. Yeah, not even a couple of years. She's on the run from the law right now. Um, so they'll catch her. So anyway, he talked me into going. So we went and uh, I will tell you, I was I was more interested in the comic talent there because um, as far as they pretty much had everyone who's currently working on some form of Batman book there currently and so i was able to so we went friday and in that first night friday night i met james tinian the fourth um i met uh tom king who's the current writer on batman i met joshua williamson who's currently writing the flash and is going to be writing the new justice league odyssey book i met scott snyder greg capullo and jonathan glapian um and i met sean gordon murphy um who you know we're going to talk about books Involving pretty much all of these guys um, today on, wow. on this episode, and I was able to meet all of them with no problem. And what's funny is, like, I got in line. I'm like, I really don't have anything for them to sign. I just kind of want to meet them. Like, I, I I read all my comics digitally, so I just want to like meet them, shake their hand, that kind of thing. Well, Joshua Williamson had Funko Pops on his table, 
and you guys know how I am. I am about the freaking Funko Pops. And I'm like, huh, that didn't occur to me. <laughs> so uh, so I got so I picked up a couple of Funko Pops while I was there and I got um, my I got a Batman Funko Pop signed by Scott Snyder, Greg Capullo. I got my Joshua Williamson flash and I got Dan Jurgens to sign a Superman Funko pop on Saturday. So I met Dan Jurgens and out of all of them, that was the one like I was shaking, like, Oh my God, it's Dan Jurgens. That um, I actually, I'm not a Funko pop fan, Paul, but I'm actually jealous of that, that you got a Superman one signed by Jurgens and uh, we don't talk about it, but I'm reading the current flash uh, as of the last storyline. The, this is a grad story. And it is really good. So oh. the guy writing Flash right now is great. Yeah. Paul, in my head, I'm like, oh, no, just grab one of those Death of Superman black vinyl bag things. And then get, him to, <laughs> get him to sign it with a white Sharpie. Like, that was the move. He had those, oh, too. There were plenty of people doing that. Um, I will tell you, like, I, I genuinely had a good time. You know, I like everyone other than Scott Snyder and Greg Capullo, who I had to wait about an hour and a half to meet everyone else i just walked up to on friday night because friday night was you know it's kind of a quiet night i just walked up to these guys i had conversations when i finally you know scott snyder and greg capullo they're freaking rock stars i mean people line up an hour early just to meet these guys and so you know i got in the line um you know uh, i i I spent actually a couple minutes talking to scott snyder um and they were just all super nice super humble um, you know, I, I, I had a great time, but the funny thing is that nobody that my brother wanted to meet was there Friday night. <laughs> Cause like he left Friday night and I'm like, well, shit, I'm done. And he's like, well, I, cause he, cause, but like Tom Welling, Michael Rosenbaum, he wanted to see charisma carpenter and I hadn't yet met Dan Jerkins. Um, so we came back Saturday more. So we came back Saturday and John Boyega, um, we went to the John Boyega panel on Saturday also. So Saturday morning is when I met Dan Jurgens, and we met um, – we took a photo because my brother you know, really wanted some, to, to meet these guys. Um, we took a Superman arrow photo. Um, so we got to take a photo with uh, Tom Welling and Stephen Amell in the same photograph, and Stephen Amell shook my hand and put his hand on my back. And uh, it, it was it was cool. It was it was cool to actually see, you know, both of those guys in person. Um, and I will say I actually had a really, really good time at Awesome Con. Um, we were sixth row center for the John Boyega panel. We saw the um, I guess the world. I don't know if it was the world premiere, but we saw the the, the, the first episode of Lost in Space two weeks before it airs on Netflix. Um, and, and I thought it was great. I'm really looking forward to that series. Um, you know, we saw the Superman 80th anniversary panel with Dan Jurgens and Scott Snyder and the Smallville guys who were there. Um, I saw John Barrowman's panel. Uh, it, I really had a great time. So, Paul, I'm glad to hear that Stephen Amell actually touched you this time because uh, the the reason given makes perfect sense for not doing it before. But I like knowing that it wasn't just because he was a jerk, that it was that was a legitimate reason for him to do the hover thing. The joke is, was funnier when he was a jerk. Let's be honest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I suppose because yeah, if it happened twice, Paul, then you could have a complex. Be like, what's wrong with yeah. me? Yeah, it, it is Paul. Yeah, well, but <laughs> apparently is. in this scenario, it's me. Um, <laughs> <No>. <laughs> um, so I, I, I hate to backtrack us a little bit, but you had mentioned Supernatural uh, before, yeah. um, before the Awesome Con conversation. And I'm just curious, has the Scooby-Doo episode of Supernatural already aired? It aired last week and I didn't see yeah. it, but I think it's on demand. So I do want to okay. watch it. Because th- that looks pretty awesome. And I'm seeing yeah. all the T-shirts that have come out since then. And I'm like, you know, I might have to have one of those. It's been a long it time looked, since I've watched a Supernatural episode, but uh, that looks pretty awesome. So I've never seen an episode of Supernatural, but I was in the whoa, room for a while while that I'm was sorry. playing. Whoa. How does that happen when it's been on for 30 years? I Yeah. <laughs> well, right now it seems daunting because it's been on for like 30 years. And yeah. I don't want to jump into it. I never saw it when it started coming out. But my wife is a huge fan of it, and she watched the Scooby-Doo episode. So I was in the room for part of it, and it looked like a episode of Scooby-Doo. I mean, I, I was impressed. Well, Wayne, I'll I'll give you the supernatural uh, primer. All you have to do is watch episodes, uh, seasons one through five. Don't watch anything after that. You're good. 
because if I remember right, season five was when the guy who originally wrote it had planned on it being being an ending, and it capped that season capped like it was an it was an end to the series. So, wow, and I think it's on like season eleven now. Yeah. Well, yeah, you know, and then they're like, well, yeah, we're done, and then they're like, hey, money, and they're like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Like we would too, right? <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. But, uh, but like, as far as an artist concept, like you don't have to watch all that stuff. And I think it's on Netflix. So, oh yeah, no, it is on Netflix, and you can you can watch a whole lot of that on Netflix. Oh God, I can't even imagine. I, like you could start it now, and I don't think you'd come to ManCon. Like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I when I first started watching Supernatural, I was buying the seasons on DVD. And I, and I think I got to season five, and I think, I think I'm done doing this. You know? mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Good, good show, though. Because streaming came on. No, no. I mean, it's it's worthwhile. But, I mean, it, it, I understand Wayne's, you know, fear because, you know, it is a, a big cookie to take a bite of. And, you know, at some point I'm like, I can't keep up with this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to wait and watch this in the retirement home. So, yeah. Ho- hopefully we have streaming there. So. Oh, where every show is new again for Aaron. <laughs> <laughs> there are so many shows I have on my back catalog that I haven't watched. There's just not time to watch all of these. I haven't even seen uh, season two of Jessica Jones yet, and I loved season one. I've only watched the first episode. Loved it, but that's all I've watched. And, and you know, I, I, did, I, I haven't watched this week's Krypton. I'm, I've only been able to watch the first two. I've only watched that first episode of Krypton. I haven't watched uh, – well, I think there were two ep- – well, I, I know I only watched like the pilot for Krypton and I watched the first episode of the Runaways TV show because I'm a big fan of the comic, but I haven't watched any more of that. Well, and every single one of the CWDC shows got picked up for another season. Every single one of them. Wow. Uh, that blows my mind because, <laughs> I mean, I, I got to tell you, if I if I'm CW, I'd have cut that, you know, DC's Legends of Tomorrow a long time ago. And it just blows my mind that that thing's still on the air. And I haven't watched any of the new Constantine. Is that is that already a show? It's an animated show on their CW Seed app, uh, but supposedly it's really good. Well, yeah, I, I like. Say, the, I is like it animated? Because anim- I I thought it was live action. I I, I like their uh, their animated. Uh, they did an Arrow thing uh, with the Vixen show. Yes, that was great. I, I, I like. I wanted Vixen. to see that, but I don't watch shows on apps. If it's not, if I can't get it streaming on my TV, I'm not going to watch it. Do you have Google Chrome? No, I don't. Oh, okay. Well, then you're just screwed. Yeah. No, I've got, I've got a Roku, I've got a PlayStation Four, and all of my streaming goes through the PlayStation Four, really. I hear you. Sometimes it's a pain in the ass, and, and Google Chrome isn't my uh, preferred method, but uh, you know, sometimes you got to see it. Like you know, I. It is not uh, genre appropriate, but that was the only way I got to see uh, Jesus Christ Superstar live on NBC because I saw it on the app because I didn't know that it was on last weekend. So. Yeah, if I wasn't overwhelmed with the things I haven't got around to seeing, maybe <laughs> I'd consider apps. But yeah. I have enough stuff on uh, Netflix and Prime and no, Hulu I get that I haven't watched yet, and even on my own DVR. I was getting browbeat this week about you haven't seen Handmaid's Tale. I'm like, that's on Hulu, right? And they're like, yeah, I don't Hulu because I because you know I've got enough on Prime and Netflix and everything else, and you know you, I, I feel like I'm going to have to get in on this D- Disney thing when it comes out. So you know, you may make fun of me for this one, but I had I did watch the first episode of Roseanne when it came back. I heard yeah, good things no, about I, it. Oh, I, I will make fun of you for that. Yeah, I I, I I am not a Roseanne fan, but I have heard good things about that. It is really good. It it completely recaptures the show, the feel of it. Mostly, I just watched the news this week. <laughs> but you read some comics, too. I did read some comics. So, you know, we're about to talk about Marvel 2-in-1, number five. Um, but before we do, I want to mention, did you guys see that Dan Slott and Sarah Pacelli are bringing the Fantastic Four back? I believe it's in August. I'm pretty excited about that. Sarah Pacelli can draw... Like nobody's business. I follow her on Instagram, and she's done a number of books that I've enjoyed. I, I, I'm I'm super excited that they've got a real live artist on that book. Yeah, I, I want to be really great. excited. I really do, but I don't know about Dan Slott writing Fantastic Four. I think he'll be good uh, you in know, the initial run. I think so too, and I've enjoyed his latest arc on Amazing Spider-Man. Honestly, I, I, um, I think Dan Slott is is good when he's excited about what he's writing. Yeah, and I think he's good when 
when he has, you know, arcs planned, you know, and he's had some time to, to let that gel, you know, it's probably not such a good idea to let him stay past his welcome. That's probably true for every writer and every artist, but uh, I'm, I'm excited. I'm excited to have it back, you know, and, yeah. and I really enjoyed Marvel 2 and 1, uh, and, and I'm looking I, forward to having the Fantastic Four back. I've been reading so much Fantastic Four. On those uh, Marvel 84 cent sales and things, I've been picking up Fantastic Four like crazy. I sort of, I sort of feel like we're not the we're not the uh, poster children for talking about staying past your welcome, Aaron. <laughs> this is fair. Fair point. Fair. Tim, point. we were never welcome to begin with, <laughs> so we're fine. So, I, I got to say one thing about Marvel Two and One. <clears throat> I wish, but. Don't get me wrong, Valerio Shitty or Shitty or Skitty or whatever the hell the guy's name is, is a serviceable artist. But damn it, they have some glorious covers by Jim Chung and Nick Bradshaw. And I'm like, ah, look at that. Like this cover looks like Art Adams drew it. Yeah. But inside, it doesn't look like Art Adams drew it. Are you saying you don't care for the art in this book? I'm not saying I don't care for the art in this book. I'm saying I care for the art on the cover more. But that's true in most books, right? I mean, you know, usually oh, they, they, you've got a, you've got you know some spectacular you know Olivier Copiel cover artist, and and then you've got you know other artist in the book, somebody who can get a book out on time. Um, oh, good point. Good point. I mean, no, but, no. My, my, I have no complaints about the art inside the book, other than the fact that the art on the cover is is just so good, just well, so good. I really like the the art inside this book. Um, I, I I dug it quite a bit. I I so. I, I agree. I, it's a gorgeous cover, um, but I think the the artwork inside is is really strong and uh, tells a visual story in a compelling manner. And I think that's got a lot to do with uh, color and inks as well. Agreed. Agreed. I, I really hope that whatever is happening in Mar- in in this book two and one doesn't lead. And the fact that Fantastic Four is coming back in August isn't leading to Doom going bad again because I'm really enjoying the current arc. Yeah, me too. On, uh, on Doctor Doom. Me too. Well, I, he doesn't seem to be going bad in this book either. I mean, he's he's definitely been hero in the book from in my perspective. Oh, yeah. Agreed. Agreed. But, uh, you know, I it, it's kind of like Loki, right? We loved we loved Kit Loki, but we knew eventually he'd go back to being adult Loki, evil Loki. And I, I like we know eventually Doom is going to go bad again. I just I'm really enjoying him being good, you know, anti-hero good. Yeah. So oh, go ahead, Aaron. No, you go. So getting a little bit into this issue, I always love alternate reality Galactus stories. I can't think of one that I've read that I don't like. And this, besides being the uh, the book I've really loved just for thing and uh, Human Torch, this alternate reality Galactus story with uh, Doom taking over the body of Galactus is I I love the story I love the arc. Yeah, no, I do too. I, and the, the nice thing about the alternate Galactus stories is you can tell a a, the, a Galactus story the way it probably would go down, right? <laughs> you know, yeah, it, it Galactus can eat the planet. Yeah, and that you know horrible and terrible things happen, and then when you put somebody like Doom. Uh, with the power of Galactus, even more terrible and awful things happen. Um, I love how, uh, you know, egotistical Doom is by creating Doombots as his heralds, right? Uh, I, just, I think that makes so much sense, and I, and I giggled when I saw it on, on the page. Um, I loved how, you know, in this universe, uh, something terrible has happened to Johnny Storm. We know that that Ben Grimm was uh, killed by Galactus uh, in in the, the the early events in this universe, and so, so where I don't know about you, but I'm pretty sure I know what happened to Johnny. What do you think happened to Johnny? He's their son. Oh, yeah, all, maybe all that's all that's left is Earth with a big floating fireball right in it, right above it, not oh, yeah. far away. I'm pretty sure that's Johnny Supernova. Not you know, basically lost his mind just there saving the planet because they not, talked about if he was there they would be dead i had so. not caught that and that's actually straight out of the secret wars book right yep because uh that's what that's that's how doom separated the fantastic four in that story that's a good catch wayne i did not i did not pick up on that but you know i i love you know so you've got our universes johnny and ben coming through 
uh, united with uh, Reed and Sue from this universe. And it's sort of the rallying cry for this universe's heroes is, oh, my God, the Fantastic Four are back. You know, because Reed just kind of fell apart when uh, when he lost to Doom. I, I just think this is a great book. And, you know, I, I love the uh, the pages that were spent sort of putting the band back together because uh, Norrin Rod, the Silver Surfer, has been hiding out with uh, uh, Emma. Uh, what I can't remember. Uh, Emma Frost. Thank you. Emma Frost from from uh, the X-Men books, <laughs> which is a, a pairing I never would have put together. But, yeah, I'm really curious how that came about. Yeah. Of all the people that he would be with, yeah, to be with her. But I, you know, I'm I'm just uh, you know really jazzed about this book. And you know, on the last page, we see that you know Doom as Galactus has returned to Earth after having eaten the entirety of the rest of the universe. Uh, and the 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 preview art for the uh, next book just looks amazing. With uh, ben, a, a, a Galactus-sized Ben beating up on uh, Doom Galactus. I just think that looks fantastic. Yeah, I, this is one of my favorite books right now. I I really want the Fantastic Four book when it comes back to be good. I, I want it to capture this feel, this feel of family yeah. that I've missed in Fantastic Four before it went before they shut it down. And did, did any of you guys read the Terrifics last week? I know probably Paul did. Of course I did. Okay. Wayne, did you read it? No, I bought it, but I haven't read it yet. So what I found really interesting is something that Marvel 2-in-1 is doing is also something that the Terrifics is doing. And, of course, the Terrifics is sort of a a DC Comics version of the Fantastic Four. But we see that Johnny and Ben are losing their powers. Johnny can't burn burn as brightly and Ben can't bench as much as he used to because of their severed tie with Reed and Sue from their universe because presumably they're dead or lost in time and space somewhere. So in the Terrifics book, you know, at the end of the second issue, they all go their separate ways and they're pulled back together because they are linked by this tether, which is sort of the same thing they've got going on over in the Marvel books. And I just find it interesting. These these books are coming out at the exact same time and are kind of telling a very similar story using a very similar device, you know, and the, the point. And the Fantastic Four have always been united by family. They were always going to be together because that's who they are. But the Terrifics don't really like each other, you know. And so they're ready to go their separate ways, but they get pulled back. So, interesting. Yeah, no, that's good. That, that That's an interesting point. I'm enjoying the Terrifics, by the way. Terrifics is awesome. I love it so hard. Yeah. Well, you know, since we're, we're we're now we're switching over to the DC portion, the Batman portion of the podcast, as it were, um, but also still kind of in the whole alternate reality um, concept. Dark Knight's Metal number six came out last week, um, but we didn't record because I was at Awesome Con uh, and figured we we chat about it because it's it's the conclusion. We've been talking about Dark Knight's Metal for it seems like about eight months now, um, if not longer. Uh, because of, of the delays. So I, I know Aaron and I read this. I think we're the only ones who who actually stuck with Dark Knight's Metal all the way through or even started it. Yeah. Um, so, Aaron, what did you think about Metal Number 6? Um, I thought that it was ever bit as disappointing an ending to this series as most of this series has been. Um, I... I, I it did not change my opinion that overall I, I think that this this series was a big miss. I would agree. And, you know, it, it's it's hard for me to say that since I just met the creators and, and really appreciated them as people. Um, but I, I felt like issue six was borderline incomprehensible. Uh-huh. Um, and I don't know if that's just because of the delays and I just need to reread the entire book. But half of the book, I really didn't know what the hell was going on. Yeah, no. And half the book, I didn't care. You know, I yeah. was just like, n- number one, I... I I feel like uh, there was a lot of fat on this bone. I think this could have been a four-issue series instead of a six-issue series. Um, I, I feel like it would have benefited from some compression because so much of it is decompressed. And I was like, there's so much of it I don't fucking care about. Um, yeah. And I, I feel like there's a whole lot of, of writer being clever versus writer being efficient in the book. Um, I can't fault Greg Capullo's art. Um, cause there's a lot of really cool stuff on the page and you can tell he's having a fucking blast. Yeah. But even so the visual storytelling is so encumbered by what Scott Snyder is writing that I could not get into it. 
And I, I'm just like, God, the, you know, this is a six issue series that feels like a 12 issue series because there's just too much that they've done. And, and really, I, I think back in issue four, I was like, oh, OK, I'm ready for this to be done. You know, I'm ready yeah. for them to wrap this up. And I I completely feel like issue five was all fat. You know, there yeah. was there wasn't anything meaningful in five that you couldn't have taken care of in a page in a a larger issue four, right? Um, I, I was very disappointed in, in how how this book turned out when I feel like it started really strong. Um, now I think the good news is is I think some good things are going to launch out of these books, but yeah, and, and that's what I would say for the series is that I. I the what good has come out of the series or what's interesting things have come out of the series, I should say, or obviously we already mentioned the terrifics, um, but also the fact that the source wall is broken. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and we've always understood the source wall as the edge of the universe where everything ends. And so now that it's broken and that it cannot be breached, you know, that, yeah. that anyone who has ever tried has become part of the source wall. Right. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And so now that the fact that it's broken opens up a lot of interesting possibilities um, for storytelling. And another aspect that I liked of it, uh, that I liked of the series is uh, the fact that the Hall of Justice is coming back. Yeah. Inside Wayne Manor. Or at least, yeah, some aspect. Yeah, some yeah. some way. I don't know exactly. You know, they, they have the blueprints inside Wayne Manor, but um, I, 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 I like that, you know, and, and seeing the upcoming um Justice League books uh, that are coming out of this and the teams, you know, it, it definitely see influence from the TV series in there, uh, the, the, the animated series. So I, I'm looking forward to it, despite the fact that Metal um, disappointed me. Yeah. So I want to hear this will be complete spoiler territory, but I want to hear how the source wall got breached. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I was about to say the same thing, Paul. I don't really understand it. It had something to do with metal. <laughs> That's how incomprehensible this story is. Yeah, I'm not wow. entirely sure how it got broken. Um, it, 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 it does have to do with um, the forge of realities and how the dark multiverse you know, connects to this universe and how they defeated Barbados. I'm sorry? There was some hand-holding. Yeah. And uh, I, I feel like, you know, it's that episode of Star Trek The Next Generation where we all think positive thoughts at the Traveler so that we can get our get home. Uh, there was some of that. <laughs> I mean, yeah. it, it seriously, none of this part of the book made any sense to me at all. And I sat there when I, when I got through with that page. I'm like, OK, the source wall is broken. I see the hand coming through the source wall. Um, I don't understand that. I'm just going to move on to the parts of the book where they start talking about the Hall of Justice. Yeah. Yeah. So it's uh, that yeah, is hilarious. It, it's kind of but it's true. But um, I will we're say not just being funny. That's 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 kind of how we feel about it. I will say, you know, they, they, they do that thing that that all the DC books do now at the end of their big events is they, they kind of flash forward a little bit and give you hints of what's coming. And one of the things I was really excited to see about what's coming are the Dark Stars, Paul, because we've not seen yeah. them since Flashpoint, since before Flashpoint. Since before Flashpoint. Yeah. And I've always enjoyed the, the Dark Stars. Um mm -hmm. And I, I'm like, yes, I want me some dark stars in my life. So I'm excited to see that. Well, and it sets up things. It sets up this no justice um, storyline. Uh, you know, the Atlantis has has risen from the depths. Um, there, there are interesting things coming. I, I just, yeah, like I said, I, you know, there were things. Metal overall was disappointing. I am going to reread it uh, just to see if I'm missing something. But I will say one. <laughs> One thing that I felt was ridiculous. Absolutely just, just, ridiculous. Just the one thing, though. Well, out of this final issue is that, you know, it, it, the the heroes have gathered in Wayne Manor to celebrate their victory. And Bruce Wayne has set up a party for yeah. them with a live band and Alfred's on drums. Yeah, and Swamp, uh, Swamp Thing's there wearing a bow tie. Yeah. <laughs> Paul, this hurts. Well, well and, and, and did you notice that Swamp Thing's kind of wearing a, some sort of vegetable plant jacket? Yeah. <laughs> it, it is without a doubt the most ridiculous panel I think I've seen in a long time. Yeah. Um, I was just like, what the hell am I reading? Yeah. Um, I understood they were just trying to have fun with it, but that was that may have gone a bit too far for me. Uh, it, it just it totally you know didn't feel it didn't feel. Um, 
what's the word I'm looking for? Real? Authentic. <laughs> yeah, it didn't feel authentic, right? To to whereas a book like Batman 44 came out this week, and that book, you know, that that felt authentic and true to the characters that you know that were involved, the Batman and Catwoman. I like how they flashed back and forth um, to their history and present day, kind of a little bit of retconning um, some of their previous meetings. Tim, you read Batman 44. I did. What did you think? You know, so when you go back to the new 52 and you talk about who, who came forward and who had new history and old history and all that stuff. And Batman was one of the characters that they sort of quasi tried to keep with, with having the, the tradition that he had, um, specifically with, you know, having all the Robins and, 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 all, you know, uh, Bane and all that stuff was supposed to be still, you know, in his universe, even if it was compressed. And I felt like I had gotten past that storytelling hand wave and this book came out and I'm like, Oh God, they're trying to explain it all. No, just leave it behind the curtain. <laughs> That's how yeah. I felt. So it was a good book. I, I like seeing I like seeing Catwoman's dress. I like seeing their interactions, but I was more distracted by the whole new Fifty Two hand wavy I'm going on. That so to me it was kind of a mess. Uh, Aaron, know, what did you think? I I really enjoyed this book, and I've I've enjoyed everything about the Batman Catwoman relationship, other than the fact that they call each other Bat and Cat. That drives me crazy. Um, I. I deeply love the design of uh, Catwoman's wedding dress. Uh, I, I just I, I think it's perfect match for her. Uh, the fact that there is black lace on her wedding dress uh, is just you know fantastic. Um, I, I I didn't have a problem with the back and forth in the the different so, sorts of Batman Catwoman continuity. Uh, the only thing I kind of scratch my head is I'm like you know when in this reality would she have ever dressed like that? But I'm going to let that go. That's not important. I'm going to let it go. I, 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 enjoy, I enjoyed the tone. Uh, of course, Catwoman's going to steal her wedding dress. And of course, it's going to be something like $28,000 in value. Um, I would think, here's the problem, is that the uh, wedding dress seems terribly unique and when somebody like Bruce Wayne gets married, I'm going to imagine that there's going to be a lot of uh, photographic coverage. I would think that the uh, the dress designer will have noticed the great big hole in his floor that she blew so that she could, uh, you know, come in from the sewers and take the wedding dress. Uh, I also note that she didn't take a shower before she tried on wedding dresses and, you know, she came through, you know the sewer. <laughs> so I'm going to guess on wedding day, that dress is going to be a little funky, a little funky. Oh, Aaron, suspension of disbelief. I'm just saying. Uh, anyway, I, I really enjoyed this book. I, I, I love, I love these character moments we get. It's one of the things that I enjoy, particularly with our, with our characters that have been around forever in a day is to just hear them talk and the relationship talk between Batman and Catwoman as he's like, you know, we keep changing, you know, what is it we're looking for, that kind of thing. And so I think those those elements of of telling the the older stories, you know, glimpses into those older stories and older conflicts between Batman and Catwoman, you know, really spoke into, you know, we keep changing as characters throughout the years, you know, and in a meta sort of level, they they have changed for what, 75 years, right? Um, you know, how is it we're go going to make this work? And uh, I just, I, I thought it was a great book. It was a great book, really entertained. And I like that Alfred's in on the secret. Yeah, he knew she stole the dress. Yeah, that funky, funky dress, her sewer dress. <laughs> just saying. So I, I'm betting Bruce sends a check to the, uh, to the guy that made it. I would like to see dress. that on the page. You know, I, I, I mean, because I'm thinking the same thing is that Bruce is going to know about it and that, you know, he's going to send a check for both the damages and the dress. Because, I mean, she blew a hole in the floor down into the sewer. I'm going to guess that's going to hurt business for a while. So out of curiosity, do you guys think the wedding will actually happen? I do. DC Ooh. has been very anti-wedding for a long time. They seem to have backed away from it with uh, bringing in, bringing back Lois and, uh, you know. Superman's son, Jonathan, 
But will they let Batman actually get married or is something horrible going to happen at the wedding and call it off? Yeah, I hope we don't have a Green Arrow, Black Canary situation where they get married and then one of them dies or something terrible happens. I would like to see them. I'd like to see the Bat family grow. You know, I'd like to see, you know, those two characters get to be married and see what that's like versus, you know, we can't get married because too many awful things will happen. You know, because we know the Joker is going to crash the party. Yeah, because I mean, I I hope I'm wrong. I want the wedding to actually happen. I want them to get married, even though I'm not reading the book. But I have a feeling they won't let it happen. They being the writers. I know. I I, I think it's a 50 50 to me. Like I could I could totally see you that happening Wayne but I could also see them actually trying to develop a character going well it's actually selling Superman books yeah so yeah I could could, yeah either way I I think I I could see that go but I'd rather see them try to develop the characters like Aaron said yeah I'm on that side I really I I think it's going to go through I um I know Tom King said he had plans for like up to a hundred issues I think of Batman if I remember correctly, you know, there was an article about it a while back where he's like, oh, I've got plans through like 100. Um, so I fingers crossed. I, I, I want to see it go through. I, I like the progression that we've seen in Batman over Tom King's arc. I remember I didn't care for the first issue and I remember and I know it's just gotten better and better since then. Um, you know, another Batman series that I've really enjoyed is Batman White Knight. Uh, I actually met. Tom, not Tom, Sean Murphy, like I mentioned, I met, I met him at AwesomeCon, and I know it had been rumored, but I don't know that I read it anywhere specifically, but he said White Knight 2 is coming out this winter. Um, so, I mean, he's already got, you know, he, he's already working on the sequel to this series, um, and he's like, I know you're worried, but just trust me with the ending. I promise we stuck the landing on this series. I'm like, I'm, I wasn't really worried, but like, I, I'm, I've really enjoyed the series so far, but I guess he's, he's getting a lot of feedback that fans are, are, are concerned about how the series is going to wrap up. First so, of all, first of all, go- sweet Christmas. How much more have I got to hear about awesome con Paul? I, t- I saw Stephen Amell. <laughs> he touched me. I, I met Sean Murphy. I, I got to see Dan Jurgens. I mean, Aaron, Jesus you're going to, you're going to hear you're going to hear about it until he gets his press pass back. Aaron. Yes, basically. <laughs> I, I have been thinking that, Tim. <laughs> I think that's the last awesome con story I have for today. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> Hashtag awesome con. <laughs> Show title. That's right. So I have to say I'm a little concerned about the ending myself after this last issue. I love the series. I have loved everything on the series and i'm a little concerned that with this issue it's kind of going back to batman is really in control of everything and one of the things i've loved about this series has been that a cured joker has been in control the some of the reveals that the taxpayers never paid for the batman uh fund that it was always wayne enterprises that was paying for it that uh Batman could have escaped Arkham at any time, that he was waiting there because Harley had talked to him. All of this is really putting him back into the Batman is omniscient and in control. And that's what I liked about this series was that in this case, he was driven over the line and he wasn't in control anymore. Well, I, 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 lo- I love how Paul was just like, why is the writer apologizing? Who are these weirdos that are worried about the series and then Wayne's like, well, let me tell you about weirdos. Well, and along those lines, Wayne, the my problem with the book is that Batman makes a big turn in this book. Right. You know, he he was really unhinged in the previous issues. And in this book, he emerges as reasonable. And the only reason we see for that is because he had a timeout in Arkham. And that bugged the shit out of me that there was no real reason for him to have changed his perspective. And absolutely agree with uh, Commissioner Gordon. You know, yeah, you were right to arrest me. It had gone too far. Only because he had he, he had some time, some alone time, to get in touch with him. Uh, well, I, it, it, it makes it seemed, no sense for that turn. It seemed like that's like that was him all along, and he was just playing the role. And it's like that. I don't know. I had that issue there, and yeah, it really like I love this book. I loved everything they've done with it up to this point. I love Joker in it, and it just Batman was off this issue. He was back to being Batman, and I yeah, 
I, so he, he I didn't earn it. I don't have a problem with the fact that the character made a turn. What I have a problem with is that there was no motivation for that turn. You know, I'm yeah. sorry, the, the timeout, we, we have seen how Arkham works with everybody else in the world. Arkham is not a place where you get some alone time and uh, become a better person. He didn't earn <laughs> right? that turn. No, he didn't. He didn't. And, you know, I, there's a lot I like about this book. And I'm, and, and I'm, I, I'm really not all that concerned about the ending because I, I think it's going to be entertaining. But I'm it just feels like the sort of choice that someone who is not as skilled a writer as they ought to be makes, because I think somebody else would have said, OK, we, he has to earn the turn, as Wayne said. He, what is going to make him do that other than himself? Because you really need an external force working there. Because otherwise, you know, what's the point of all the conflict in the book if it only takes Batman getting a time out for him to change his mind? Paul's being awfully quiet. Well, we've heard his feelings. We're, we're talking about his friend, Sean Murphy. His I know. Good, his dear, dear friend, Sean Murphy. Well, did you know that I met him when I was at Awesome Con? <laughs> <laughs> Tell us more, Paul. <laughs> Tell us how he no. smelled, Paul. <laughs> I will say, you know, I, it was a concern of mine that the series, um, it, 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 all the... Th- all the things that they had set up in regards to the Joker's in control and Batman's actually the villain here have basically been undone. And I don't know that that'll hold true in the final issue, but that that's kind of what we're, we're back to status quo, right? The series spent six issues breaking the status quo and one issue getting us back there. Yeah. Well, and you know, as much as I want to complain about the absence of motivation there, I do really enjoy, and I said this last time, I really enjoy seeing all the Batmobiles on the page because Sean Murphy draws himself some wicked Batmobiles. Yeah. That's a lot of fun. And I liked what he did with Jason Todd. Uh, Yes. I mean, it's not... Yes, I thought that was an interesting twist. Yeah. It's not terribly far from what actually happened to Jason Todd in the DC Universe, except that he didn't die and come back. He he hated Batman in in, in life, not just in death, like he did in the regular DC Universe. Um, But regardless, I am looking forward to how this book is going to conclude. You know, I know there's only one more issue, so I'm I'm very curious to see how it ends here. You know, is the Joker basically back or are we going to see this flip flop back and forth like we did in this issue? I'm, I'm, I'm curious to see where it goes. Now, I, you know, talk about concerns. I I really, I really can't stand. I'm I'm learning to hate any book that features Bizarro. Uh, The Red Hood and the Outlaws is really good. Yeah, but it's got Bizarro. But I guess maybe classic Bizarro, especially maybe every time he pops up in the Superman book. So maybe as much of a fan as I am of Pete Tomasi, I don't like the way he writes Bizarro as a narrator because this isn't the first time. Yeah. but I, I I got about halfway through Superman number forty four, and I almost put it down. Yeah, it's a terrible book. It, it is I, a terrible but, book. But the last so, two pages were heartbreaking. The last three pages. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, here's the thing about Bizarro. I like Bizarro as a character, but I can't deal with a whole world full of Bizarros. It's too much. It's overwhelming. It's driving me crazy. It makes me want to bash my head in trying to read the backwards talk. And when you have the regular characters trying to do that same backwards talk so they can talk to them, it is ridiculously painful to read. Yeah, it, it is. It is. It, it, this book was painful to read. And again, until the last five pages, which, you know, so what I'm referencing is that basically Bizarro abandons his son to die on Bizarro World. And that really got to me. I don't know why. Like, I hated this entire book. And then I got to that scene. I'm like, holy shit. That's yeah. horrible. Yeah. You know, and then, and then you know, there's a bright, shining moment where Superman and, and family um, save him uh, at the last minute. But that the, the page where Bizarro leaves his son and his son, you know, like, sits there amongst the burning ashes of the world crying. Like, I was like, oh, okay, okay. Like, I, I wish the entire book had been written with the same subtlety and and emotion as these three pages. Yeah. So, Paul, when uh, Boizaro is is putting his hand on the rocket ship and, you know, uh, essentially asking, uh, uh, you know, his father to either take him with him or save him instead. And you see his his black fingernails on the uh, on the, the side of the rocket ship. Did it remind you of my black toenail that I'm giving you? Oh, God. <laughs> I got it in a little box for you, Paul. <laughs> God, it's in a box. <laughs> it's like 
the end of seven. <laughs> What's in the box? And and if you don't know what Aaron's talking about, make sure to follow him on Instagram. <laughs> My black toenail fell off, and I'm saving it for Paul. <laughs> no. <laughs> for you paul you know why i'm really cringing about that he's gonna give it to him at mancon so the rest of us have to see it too that is correct oh that's that a good idea yeah um so i've been trying to figure out you know uh you're not much of a jewelry guy paul you know i was thinking no. that maybe i'd put it on a necklace for you or if you're an earring guy i'd put it on an earring for you you know earring. that way it actually touches my skin <laughs> <laughs> So did you guys, you know, we're, we're coming up on Action Comics number 1000. And did you see that John Byrne is not uh, participating? I did. He was asked. Uh, DC Comics uh, put out an invitation. And apparently they gave, they left a voicemail. And so he returns their call and he gets their voicemail. And uh, apparently nobody decided to push on either side. Uh, so it seems all passive aggressive. In, in it does. Uh, but I'm not heartbroken about it. No, honestly. Neither am I. Neither am I. John Byrne, you know, that was uh, that was definitely his heyday in his career. Um, but, you know, we are 30 years past that. It just and, would have been uh, nice to see like a, a John Byrne, you know, couple of pages in the book or at least a, a pinup or something. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I don't disagree, but I don't want to see Lois Lane get raped in Action Comics number one. No, exactly. So, yeah, you know, because he, he okay he's a bit rapey these days. Yeah. Wow. I mean, literally every book he writes, not every issue of every book, but almost yeah. every series he's involved in has some form of, um, you know, sexual yeah. abuse in it. The the John Byrne rape free zone has have been his Star Trek photo novels that he's done for IDW. But uh, but yeah, his uh, his independent stuff has been whew, awfully yeah. rapey, awfully rapey. John Byrne, I'm just saying, get some help. Yeah. <laughs> well, speaking of horrible things. <laughs> so i picked up xerxes number one uh if you're not familiar with what xerxes is so let me let me correct myself first of all it's not xerxes number one it's xerxes the fall of the house of darius and the rise of alexander issue one it's the sequel to 300 that nobody asked for exactly and i will say you know in movie wise i actually enjoyed the movie sequel to 300 quite a bit especially the fact that it had evergreen and I will watch anything with evergreen in it. Um, but this series, you know, long time in the making, uh, I think 300 is now a good 10 years old. Um, and, and speaking of, you know, writers, uh, artists in their heyday, you know, Frank Miller was, uh, you know, that, that, that's kind of like the tail end of what most people consider Frank Miller's really good stuff, right? The first 300, um, was, I, I really enjoyed that. Um, I think since then we've had DK two, a DK three that he was you know, loosely involved in, uh, but not as a, an artist. Um, we had Holy Terror, and we've had nothing but bad stuff since then. Basically, is what I'm saying. And Xerxes kind of continues that trend. I will say, it is not a horribly written book. It is written much the same way as the original 300, uh, but the art is is rather terrible. Um, and and you can see that the colorist. Um, you know, uh, you know, he's, he's used to working with Lynn Varley and now he's working with Alex Sinclair as the colorist. Uh, the, the colorist does their best to try to save the book. Um, but it is, it is just very poorly drawn. And, and, you know, some people would say it's interesting to see his evolution of style. I, I would say it's less about an evolution of style and just the fact that the guys, you know, I mean, he's getting up there in years and, uh, you know, He's either taking shortcuts or he just doesn't have the skill anymore that he previously had as an artist. But it's it's a terrible looking book. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I saw the preview pages. I was like, "Ooh, I'm staying far and away from that one. Yeah. So, I, you know, it makes me sad that I'm not picking up the rest of the series, but I won't be. Um, I, I, you know, I have enough on my plate, especially over these next couple months um, to, to not have to buy a monthly five dollar book with bad art. So I, I, I'm out. But, you know, I'm glad I gave it a shot. So, Paul, what's coming out next week? Well, next week we have a new issue of Detective Comics, but not a new issue of Action Comics because Action Comics 1000 comes out on the 18th of the month. But it's so of, weird because, you know, we had is. that last week where we had Detective Comics come out and no Action Comics. I felt shorted. 
Yeah, I, 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 we're there. You know, we're we're getting that Action Comics one thousand coming up soon. But next week we are getting Action Comics eighty years of Superman, which is that hardcover, um, or I guess you can buy it digitally. Uh, that features. Um, Let's see. I'm just reading this real quick. Enjoy sparkling essays from literary wizards who have won Pulitzer Prizes and hit the bestseller lists, including Jules Pfeiffer, who relives his memories of when Action Comics number one first hit newsstands. A historical essay by guest editor Paul Levitz. Previously unpublished 1940 Superman tale, believed to be written by Jerry Siegel with art by the Joe Schuster Studio, salvaged 50 years ago and hidden away until now, as well as... Um, Obviously, a reprint of Action Comics number one and uh, work from generations of top writers and artists on on Superman. So it's it's kind of a celebration of 80 years of Superman um, that originally was going to be like also called Action Comics 1000. But uh, to avoid confusion, now they're just calling it Action Comics 80 years of Superman. I will likely pick this up um, digitally or uh, in print digitally. Um, unless there is something different in print about it, I will likely pick it up digitally just because again, you know, I, 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 I'm, I'm out of the print business. Although I will say, um, depending on who's the creative team on it, or maybe action comics is a better one to pick up in print, you know, to get people to sign it, that kind of thing. Um, but also from DC comics, like I said, you have detective comics. And, uh, if you're picking up wonder woman, like I am, uh, wonder woman, Amazon's attacked part four is coming out. And the reason I'm picking it up is because dark side and grail are heavily involved in the current storyline, kind of continuing things from the dark side war. And so next week we have a uh, wonder woman versus dark side. And from Marvel comics, another book that I'm picking up that no one else seems to be is Mark Wade and Chris Somney's concluding, um, work. Well, Chris Somney's concluding work for Marvel, Captain America number 700. It's his last, you know, foreseeable work for Marvel Comics. Um, and it's uh, the conclusion of that out of time storyline. What are, are you saying that Captain America is a not, 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 not man out of time? Yes. So that that and more next week. Very exciting. All right, Paul. Well, uh, I know that we kept you a little long and you need to get on the phone with your good friend, Sean Murphy, and find out what he's wearing today. Yeah, I need to call him and tell him that you guys are, 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 the, are the weirdos who are worried about uh, White Knight number eight. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you, you're, maybe maybe the next time that you tune in, it'll be, you know, funny books with Sean and Sean and Polly. I, I like it. I like it. Yeah. Yeah. Sean and Polly. He would do that in a heartbeat. I would replace you guys <laughs> like that. It, either that or it'll be the awesome con, the podcast with yeah. Holly and Sean, <sighs> with, with all my awesome con friends because they're awesome. Awesome. <laughs> Have a good one, guys. Bye, everybody. Podcast theme music graciously provided by Mark Andrew Pope. For more information, visit markandrewpope.com. Funny Books with Aaron and Polly is a production of ideologyofmadness.com. No Spider-Man clones were harmed in the production of this podcast.